Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, we made it, guys, all the way through chapter 1. I know you didn't believe it was ever going to happen. <laughs> if you're a guest with us, um, we are moving at a leisurely pace through the gospel of Mark. We're not pushing, we're taking our time, and we're listening to what the Lord is wanting to teach us in different chunks of passages here. And so we have finally arrived at chapter two. It only took us about eight weeks. I feel pretty good about that. Um, And so last week, how many of you felt like the Lord spoke to you something directly last week that you needed to hear? Are you with me? Last week was a very challenging passage of scripture. We saw Jesus. He was declaring what the kingdom of God is like, and he, he did that by touching the leper. And we talked about what it means for us as the body of Christ, not only to say that we love people, but to live in such a full-bodied, responsive, compassionate way that we are willing to live in contact with those in need. And we saw Jesus actually heal this man. He touched him and healed his heart, and then he declared healing over him and healed his body. Right? We, We saw Jesus meet him in the fullness of his condition. And we reflected on the fact that God calls us as Christ followers to do the same, to live in compassion among the outcasts and the throwaways in our culture. And to touch those that our world deems untouchable. And we even kind of talked around who those groups might represent today. Right? The the mentally and physically disabled. The elderly and the dying. Prisoners. Refugees. Illegal aliens. These are those that our culture might deem untouchable. And whom Jesus says has infinite worth and value. And whom he is willing to touch and heal. And the, the, the challenge for us as the church is to move past a verbal kind of faith, a verbal kind of compassion, to a compassion that touches, that makes contact with the world that is broken around us. And one of the things that I've seen as a pastor through the years is that we are very good at declarations and often lousy at walking out those declarations in practical ways Monday through Saturday. Are you with me? There has to be a tangible connection between what happens in here on Sunday morning and how we live it out on Monday. There has to be a tangible connection to what we declare in worship on Sunday morning and the way that we serve kids with special needs uh, next Sunday morning. Are you with me? Everybody understand where I'm going with this? So for us, there is this disconnection at times from us saying, God, we we love you, we'll do anything for you, and then he shows us someone in dramatic form of need on Monday, and we say, nope, too busy. And there's a disconnect there. And as the church, what we're saying is, first off, we confess that we have sinned and we have failed there. And secondly, that we recognize that God is bringing into our sphere of influence people whose lives are not convenient or easy or simple, And yet God has called us to touch them and to trust him that he will heal them. Amen. And so we lean into both of those realities as a community. Today, as we kind of wrestled with that last week, we closed with this question. What does it look like for us as a church community to embody this? What does it look like for us to be the kind of people, the kind of place that are willing to reach past what seems normal, what even seems in that scripture legal for Jesus to do? 
How do we reach past that as a community into places where we're able to partner with those in need? And I believe that Jesus responds in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, with this story to explain just that. Okay? Is everybody good? I'm going to pray real quick because I'm already preaching out of breath and I haven't even started. Jesus, we need you today. Lord, we honor your word. I thank you, Father, that you have not, you have not um, made it a negotiation whether or not we submit to your word. We honor your word this morning, Father. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We ask you, God, that you would speak to us out of the authority of the Scripture today, by the Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to be people of compassion and action. Not people who sit back, not who are passive in our faith, but God, who are, um, who are extravagant in the ways that we love people, in the ways that we bring people to you. Father, would you give us hearts, Lord, that are responsive in our community, in our neighborhood, in our family, in our workplace, to what it means to be a Christ follower and a son and daughter of the living God. Let us not be full of words, but action. I thank you. I praise you. I ask you for it in Jesus' name. Mold us and make us today into your image. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12 A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him, uh, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to uh, to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Amen. What an incredible story. Here in this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 2, we start to hear God's answer of what it looks like for us to be people who live out the actionable compassion of God on a day-to-day basis. And we see it in this 12-verse story about a paralyzed man, his four friends, and Jesus. Now, if, if we read through this very quickly, what we need to recognize is that we know very little about this man's story except for this particular event. We don't know how long he's been sick. We don't know exactly why he's paralyzed. Is this an issue with his legs? Is it his back? We have no idea. We miss so many details about this. Uh, We don't know how long he's been struggling with this disease. All that we seem to know is that these four guys exhibit this incredible tenacity and this actionable faith that causes this man to be healed. That is the encounter that we have in this story. We see that these people, their passion to do whatever it takes for their disabled friend to get to Jesus, it changes everything. 
And I think in the same way today, as we take a step back and look at the, the magnitude of the scripture, what God is speaking to us is, will we be the kind of community who lives in such extravagant love and action and compassion toward those in need that we will get them to Jesus no matter what it costs us? Are you with me? That we will do whatever it takes to bring people into the presence of God, into the healing power of God, and that we can see people in our community transformed and changed. Will we do whatever it takes? This really is a story more about this group of friends than it is this paralyzed man. I mean, when was the last time you were in a cluster of friends that made it their mission to care for and love on someone in need at the expense of themselves? I mean, that's really our hope. That's our desire that in communities on Tuesdays and Thursdays, that you're not going to just add another calendar thing to your week, but rather that you see you're developing this kingdom community to where you are acting in response to what the world has done to people and you are speaking God's blessing over them and you are acting in their favor on a week-to-week basis. That, that you see people that you can run this race with hard. You can show up on a Tuesday night when somebody's in financial need and you can say, hey, as a community, we want to respond to that. We actually want to, to give whatever we can to help bless this person and take care of this need. If somebody comes in sick week after week and you say, you know what? We're not doing business as usual. We need to stop and just intercede and pray for this person. If people come in anxious and restless and you stop at the table and you just share your life, and you tell stories of how God has shown up and you tell stories of what's hard. And you expect for people to come alongside of you. That is the vision for community. That is what we see here in Mark chapter 2. Now imagine with me, these men are carrying this guy through the town. I want you to just put yourself in their shoes this morning. Because I think this is one of the, it's really like passionate, but it's also really comical. And I, I like to step into the humor of the story. Like it is a funny story. And you can, if you put yourself in their shoes this morning with your personality and start to imagine how this would have worked out if it was you. Like I was reading it last night and laughing out loud reading it, just thinking about how this would have played out. So imagine with me this morning that these men are carrying their friend on a mat, like on a rug, across the city to get to Jesus. And once they arrive, I mean, their faith is explosive. You can imagine they're sitting around the bed of this man that I will call Jerry for the rest of the day, because for some reason that just set in last night. Like our paralyzed man, his name is Jerry. And they're there at Jerry's bedside, and they're thinking Jesus is home, and Jesus has a 100% success rate. He has never prayed for anybody who doesn't get healed. Every single time somebody comes to Jesus, something happens. we got to get Jerry to Jesus. Now, there's no backstory here, but imagine this guy who is suffering from paralysis in a culture that demonizes sickness, that looks at people with weakness and often just goes straight to something's desperately wrong, uh, they've sinned. And in this story, there's actually some truth in it, right? We're going to hit that in a minute. But we see four people who have still committed to walking with this person through difficulty. And they say, we've got to get Jerry to Jesus. Like, no matter what it takes, we've got to pick him up and get him there. And so they haul Jerry up in this carpet. They begin to walk him across the city. And when they get there, there are so many people spilling out of this little stone house that they think, oh, that's it. I can't get there. Now, I don't know what your personality is like. Um, I, I like lots of margin and rest and quiet. Anybody else in the room like me? And so when, when they come up to this crowd of people, I start to imagine what my response would have been. And I would have been like, ah, dang, Jerry. Like, we tried, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? 
It's just really crowded and inconvenient, Jerry. I don't know if I can do anything else for you today. Man, we're going to have to haul you back in the carpet across town, right? Yes, like my worst nightmare is the thought of uh, Times Square on New Year's Eve. Are any of you in here like, that's what we need to do? Anytime I hear somebody say that, I'm like, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. You want to surround me with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in a locked up square? I'm going to have to go to the bathroom at some point. What's going to happen, you know? Have any of you thought about that? Okay, never mind. No logistical people here Sunday morning? Okay, it's fine, it's fine. That's how my brain works. I hit a crowd and inconvenience, and I say, I'm out. (laughs) Grant, do you want to go down to the Christmas parade? Absolutely not. I will because I love you, but I'd rather die. You know, I'd rather be peeled. Yeah. So they get to this moment, and they, they get Jerry all the way across town in the rug. They get him up to the house, and there are crowds spilling out everywhere. And suddenly they realize, okay, this is going to be much more difficult than we thought. But instead of them tapping out, they've already come this far. They've already exercised their faith to get Jerry up, to get him over. And so they say, no, 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 we can't stop now. We've got to go further. And I don't know if you've been in that position where you feel like you have exercised your faith to see the Lord work in your life or in somebody else's only to hit like a wall. And oftentimes we stop at that wall and we say, you know what, it's too much. I can't get my hopes up. It's too disappointing. It's too disillusioning. But in the midst of this, faith looks like pushing. It doesn't look like folding. And I do believe there are seasons when we just trust God with the circumstance. I do. We're led by the Spirit. We're not, we're not formulaic in our faith, right? So we listen for the voice of the Father. We're not, just, we're not just forcing people into a narrative story and saying, well, they did, so you have to. No, we, we've, we follow the voice. But in this moment, what they are contending for uh, is, is to see their buddy healed at all cost. And so they contend with the crowds and they make it happen. And then somehow, one of them, you've got a friend like this, I'm sure of it. One of them thinks that it is a bright idea to climb up on the roof, carrying their paralyzed friend in a rug on top of their heads as they do it. Now, come on, imagine this for just a moment, because I had never really thought about it. Four guys carrying the edges of a rug with their paralyzed buddy in the middle, and this is not like a Broadway scene where there's 10 feet of stairs. They're walking up these little, like, two-and-a-half-foot stairs, up in a house enclosure so that they can get on top of the house. Can, can you envision it? Can you imagine Jerry in there? Like, you guys sure? You sure you got me? They're like, we got you, Jerry. We're doing this. And one guy in the back is going, we do not have him. And he's going, no, we got him. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Like, faith is really, really messy and weird sometimes. you got people who are just believing. And I don't know if you, you've been in those moments where you're thinking, we do not have this. We've been praying, and we've been asking, and I'm not sure we're going to make it. We're going to die. Jerry is going to die. <laughs> and Jerry's going, I'm going to die. And they're saying, no, Jerry, you're going to be fine. Sometimes community is like that. You have two people who are like, you're, you're championing this thing. Like, yes, God is going to move. And two in the back going, those people are crazy, but we're too afraid to say anything about it, so we're going to stick with them. And somehow you've been like suckered into this posse of faith. And you're moving somewhere. And the permission that you get in that is that you don't always have to have your faith mustered to level 10. But you better be with people who are walking in faith. Are you with me? There are days you're going to hit a wall. There are days you're going to strike out. There are days when it feels like failure. And I'm looking at faces and I know the stories behind them. You know it. Where it got hard and things didn't work. And you stood side by side with somebody who said, We still trust him. 
you can still believe him. You can still walk by faith in the midst of circumstances that don't add up and they're not easy. And yet, man, Jerry is in the rug and we're going on the roof. The conversation must have been amazing. I, I would have paid so much money just to have been there. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, we're doing this, Jerry. <laughs> and so they climb and they somehow make it onto the roof without shooting Jerry out of this thing like a greased burrito, you know, down the stairs. They keep him in there. <laughs> and they make it all the way to the roof. <laughs> and I love this because I think that this really says something to us. These guys are not taking no for an answer. They're not. They're, they're dead set. They believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that they're, if they get him to Jesus, he's going to get healed. It's so much so that they're willing to do what is inconvenient and inappropriate in every culture, right? Like if somebody climbed up on your house today and broke through the roof to get to Jesus, you'd be like, stop it! Quit digging through my roof, you know? Like, this isn't like, oh, we're in the Middle East, so it was really culturally appropriate. No, it wasn't. Like they, they broke that lady's roof <laughs> to get into the house. Most scholars will tell you this is actually taking place in Peter's mom's house. And so a year ago, my dad and I got to go to Israel, and we're walking through Peter's mom's house. And they've built this, like, church with a glass dome on top of it so that you can see through where they would have dug through to get to Jesus. It's really, really crazy. These houses were built on this called, it's called basalt stone. It was like a volcanic rock. So when you go through that, you think it's like lush and green and trees everywhere. It's not. It's, it's stony and dry. I mean, you're on the ocean, but it's all of this volcanic rock. And so they built these walls up out of this black and dark gray stone rock. Uh, and then they would build these arches on top of it and line it with thin stones and then roll plaster over top. Okay. Now, we were demoing yesterday, and I can tell you, at one point I was in the roof when Dave was like, let's cut out the beam. And we cut out the beam, and then the part of the roof collapsed under me, and I was standing on rafters. It's a different experience when you're on the roof digging through it. Are you with me? It's one thing to dig through a roof when you're under it or a ceiling and you're cutting pieces. It's another to be on top of it. When it's your floor and it's falling, it's a different story, right? And so these guys, they are literally, like this is not a simple task, a simple journey. They're digging through hardened plaster, removing stone, and pushing timbers aside so that they can get through. Are you, are you sensing the level of buy-in here? They're not removing thatch, you know? They're not pulling straw back. They're breaking stone. They're pushing through every obstacle that stands in their way so that they can see Jerry healed. They are performing a, a B&E. They're breaking and entering this lady's house by faith. Are you, are you with me? Faith led them to face this obstacle. So it's, it's no small task. They, they carry him across town. They get him up the skinny stairs. They demo a roof. And then they, they lower him down. Can you imagine the looks they got from Peter's mom when they tore a roof up? Man. Um, but they were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. My question to you and I this morning is, what does compassion and faith lead us to do? What will compassion in action lead you to do to get people to Jesus? We certainly aren't in the same environment. Jesus is not in bodily form, but he exists in his people by his spirit. What will you do to get people to Jesus? Will you tap out at the crowds and the inconvenience? Will you tap out at the skinny stairs? How about at the, the plaster roof? Where do we find our tap out point? Because I see in our culture that we are so fragile in our capacity to push when obstacles come. 
We are fragile in it. And I'm not talking about just, just saying something that doesn't make any sense. I'm saying we, we, we know that getting people to Jesus is always transformational. We know that bringing people to the feet of Jesus always brings change. What will your faith and compassion lead you to do? Is it tame and reserved? Is your faith level for people who don't know him or even for yourself, is it tame and reserved? Well, if God shows up today, then I, I, I guess something may happen, you know? Very conditional, passive, like fragile language. Or is it a little like untamed and uncouth? What does it look like as a community of people to cultivate a faith that has teeth? Seriously, what does it look like for us to say, I, I don't want to look at that situation again without seeing God intervene. I don't, I don't want to look at this person's life being devastated again without us intervening in the spirit, without us partnering with people of faith to see something shift. Oftentimes we take a passive backseat role and God's inviting us into the passenger seat to see where he's going and what he wants to do. And we get to see it before the people in the back seat, but we have to step in in faith. What does it look like for us to have an abandon that believes, believes that what God has said is true even when we haven't seen it yet? They're digging through the roof, not quite knowing. They believe, but they haven't seen it yet. How is our faith being exercised as a community? Well, we can go downtown and see the homeless population and say, we can do something about this. We can love them. We don't have to reject them. Years ago, man, it broke my heart to hear that it was illegal for people to be homeless in our community. Illegal. They'd get locked up for being homeless. That's a problem. We, we can do something. When, when compassion, when the compassion of God invades our hearts, he shapes us and changes us, and he is encouraging us to take steps. What's he calling you to do? And so, so they ripped the roof off and they lowered Jerry down into the middle of the room. And what does Jesus do? Guys, stop that. That's Peter's mom's roof, you know. No. He doesn't rebuff them. He doesn't, he doesn't rebuke them. He's moved by their faith. In fact, it's this dramatic moment in the story when, when old Jerry's lowered down in front of Jesus. I think, I think Jesus quickly looks past Jerry, past the like obvious you know, the elephant in the room, <laughs> the man being lowered through the roof in the middle of the sermon. And he just looks up at Jerry's four friends. He locks eyes with them and he sees them drenched in sweat and plaster and gasping. And he says, that's faith. You know, we make the mistake of turning faith into this internal feeling this thing that I have to muster up, if I can just think enough happy thoughts, then, listen, faith, faith is a belief of the heart that manifests itself in the way you live. It's action. It's rolling your sleeves up. It's getting dirty. It's getting in the midst of what is broken. Don't tell me that you believe in your heart and then do nothing with your life. You don't believe. If I can't see it bleeding out of you, it's not faith. It's not belief. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus, when he is expressing faith, absolute trust in the Father, he, he goes to the cross. He does the dirty work of being obedient. This faith causes us. It causes us to step past simply what we feel and to express it in action. 
See, the goal is not for us to work up enough faith inside ourselves that unlocks some kingdom magic. It is to so believe what Jesus says and what he commands that you live now in obedience to what he said regardless of how it feels in the moment. Are you with me? Faith causes us to live rooted in a kingdom that other people can't see. It makes us seem crazy. Are you with me? Have you ever just evaluated from the world's perspective what it looks like to be a part of the church? A child of God. You actually believe, I love when people say, it should be simple, it should be easy. It is the invisible God who redeemed humanity by sending his son, the third part of the Trinity, to die on a cross to forgive your sins. And the shedding of the blood was, nothing about it is simple and easy. Nothing about it is easy to explain. God has called us out of a kingdom of darkness and set us in a different kingdom. We're still here, but we're rooted somewhere else. Are you with me? These are very different ways of seeing and living. And God is calling us to be a people who are deeply rooted in what it means to live by faith now. So that when he says, love your enemies, and you say, that sounds like a terrible idea. In the world, that's a terrible idea. Your enemies want to do you damage. That's a terrible idea in the world. You don't live in the world. You're in it, but you're not of it. He's called you to be rooted in the kingdom of God. He has called you to walk in the character of God and the power of God so that loving your enemies and forgiving those who persecute you makes sense. Why? Because we have received grace from a father and we can only return the same kind of character and the same time of kind of praise that we have received, right? Are you with me? Drastically different ways of living. God calls us to be people of faith who so believe that Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do, that our lives are lived in response to that. And God is calling you. For some of you this morning, God is, right now, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is just bringing things to your mind that are areas where he is just, he has subtly, sweetly convicted your heart and said, you cannot continue to live uh, rooted in the world and in me where he's calling us to take a step of faith out of that into this. And listen, if, if we read the scripture the way that it is presented, Jesus is calling people to an absolute fidelity, absolute faithfulness, to obey him unto death. That was their reality. For us, obeying Jesus doesn't get us in trouble. It just gets us looked at weird. One day it may get us in trouble in the States. Overseas this morning, it is getting people killed. If you go to our friends in Iran this morning, it, it's getting them killed. They're following Jesus and they're being murdered for it. North Korea, it's getting them killed. For us, it just gets you inconvenienced. For me, it's just an inconvenience. We're being lulled to sleep by our culture to believe that you can live the same way and add Jesus. And you can't. These kingdoms are diametrically opposed to one another. Faith rolls its sleeves up. It looks like guys on the roof who are sweaty and bloody and covered in plaster and gasping for air. That's what faith looks like. Faith demos walls on a Saturday. Faith meets with a community even when you're tired. Yes, faith is showing up when it's inconvenient. Faith is loving that person who has hurt you over and over. Faith gets its hands dirty. 
James 2.14 says it like this. Second week in a row we've read this passage. I think it's so important for us. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, in other words, I'm praying for you, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds, by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What a crazy thing for James to say, because we are good about saying, no, 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 I believe God. And he's saying, who cares? Demons believe God. Demons know who Jesus is. It's not about us saying we know who Jesus is. Prove it. Prove it with your life. Respond in like. You foolish person, verse 20, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. Listen, God is calling us to be a people of faith who live it out in action. Guys, let's not be the kind of church community that has a lot to say and comes in really triumphant in here, but then leaves empty and hollow. God is calling us to put our faith to work. I have this deep conviction, this core conviction about right now in the church as a whole. We tend to demonize different streams from one another and we divide the body up. And here's how I see it, okay? And this is not like an exhaustive list. I think we take the charismatic movement and those with the gifts of the Spirit and we put them over here. And then we take sound doctrine and theology and we put it over here, right? And then we take serving and compassion and we put it over here, right? Is that what we see? And so these things oftentimes are separated from each other in large part. And I, I think it's devastating to the world. I think it's devastating to the church. And I believe more than anything, what we need is a faith, a faith that is rooted in the scripture and that is activated in serving and loving people. And somehow when people look at that, they see Jesus. Amen. It's not one or the other. You're not going to come and just catch a prophetic word and then see us just phantom you on Monday morning out on the sidewalk. But th this is something where we are receiving the power of the Spirit rooted in the historical scriptures and walking in faith on a Tuesday afternoon when it's inconvenient. There's power in that. And for some of you, you're looking for an encounter with God for Him to show up. Listen to me. Walk by faith. Keep going. Keep putting it to work. When it doesn't all feel comfortable or easy, you are trusting in Him. You are leaning into what His Spirit is saying. You're rooted in community. And you're living it in front of people. You're loving people when it's difficult. You're forgiving people when it doesn't seem easy. That is faith. We've had situations in our community in the last, in the last year. And um, some of you have faced tremendous difficulty. And sometimes we believe that faith looks like the, the prayer being answered. Are you with me? And I believe that faith looks like trusting God when it's not answered. Amen. Yes, we believe in the answer. But my goodness... What happens for the rest of us? 
What happens when you're in the middle of the road and you haven't hit the destination? What happens when the thing continues to be difficult? That's faith. When you can hold him by the hand when you don't see it all. This is faith. Don't tell me you believe. Show me. Don't tell the world that you're a Christ follower if you're going to live it it empty Monday through Saturday. Please, don't tell anybody you love Jesus if you're just going to go out there and treat people the same way the world does. That's terrible. Our world is suffering from that. We need a faith that is alive and vibrant. And people look at you before they've ever heard you say a word about who you are. And they say, that person is different. There's something about them. They are filled with compassion and love. They must know Jesus. What kind of fruit are we bearing? Jesus looks at this group of friends who have carried the burden of this man's paralysis. And he sees faith. And in response to their faith, Jesus heals him. Look at that. This is one of the only moments, maybe the only that I've seen in the scripture, where Jesus heals somebody on the basis of someone else's faith. I don't have a formula for that one. I I hate the movements where we have said, you don't have enough faith to be healed. And yet, there are points in the scripture where Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. So faith is a part of the equation, right? We can't write that off. But what we do see here is that he honors the faith of of Jerry's buddies. He sees them covered in blood, sweat, and tears, and he says, you guys have great faith. You're forgiven. Think about that. How many of you have a friend or a family member who's lost? How many of you have a person? How many of you have a person at work in your life where you're just like, look, I don't know. Like, I haven't seen them healed. I haven't seen them come to Christ. What this tells us is that your faith becomes a sledgehammer to darkness, that your faith is transactional. It can actually shift things for them. Are you with me? You, you guys are sitting like calm Hindu cows this morning. Like, I need you to think about it. I don't know. It's probably from a movie somewhere. Their faith brings about healing for him. And here's the fun part. In the midst of that, right, they've dug through the roof. They climbed the skinny stairs. They hauled their buddy across town. Jesus looks at the crippled man on the rug, and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Can you imagine that moment? He looks back up at the guys and they're like, we brought you a paralyzed guy. We didn't ask you to forgive him. We wanted you to heal him. (laughs) We're sweating like crazy. You could have done that outside the house. We're trying to get you down to him. We saw you touch the leper. We want to get you in touching distance, right? Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. I think this is really important. Jesus meets the deepest need. In this moment when all they could see is this man's cripple, his handicap, his disability, all they could see was what was on the outside. Jesus looked directly to the heart. He says, you know what this guy needs? He needs forgiveness. How do we condition our community around this reality? We are people who pursue people's absolute healing in body, and yet we know that many body healings, they demand a heart change. You you know, this isn't true across the board, but your state of spirit bleeds out into your state of body. You're one person, right? Body, mind, emotion, spirit, all those things are seen together. When one thing's off, it can trickle over into all the other areas. Now, do we understand this? No. 
We don't fully understand how this works. Because there are some people who are sick in body whose hearts are stronger and more resolved and deeply rooted in the love and the goodness of God than anybody else I've ever seen. Now, I got to go to Africa years ago. I was in a, this camp with every kid. Either their parents had died from AIDS or they themselves had AIDS. Every child had been, their lives had been devastated by AIDS and HIV. I went with Dustin and Janelle. And you can ask them, it's the most joyful place you've ever been. I've never seen, I've never seen so much joy. Mess my world up. To see people who, you could look at them and say, man, their lives are devastated. Poor little children. They were, they were so much more alive than I was. They were so much more alive. There are people who are deeply rooted. But we do see people who struggle with physical ailments. You may be in this room this morning, and you're struggling with a physical ailment in your body. And it has more to do with the condition of your spirit than it does your body. Are you with me? And to that, Jesus doesn't just say, body, be made whole. He says, you're forgiven. He meets the deeper need. He sees past the skin level of what you're going through. He sees past the condition of the man on the street and what he's going through, and he meets the deeper need because Jesus is all about your freedom. It is for freedom that you've been set free. He's about you being whole and free from the middle of who you are. Jesus meets the deeper need. And he classifies forgiveness and restored relationship to God higher than even our physical healing. Because if he can heal this, all of this will come around. He calls him son. He looks at this man's bent and powerless body. And instead of seeing that, he sees to the very heart of the matter. Three quick notes that just came to me as I was thinking through this. Listen, we, we have an incredible movement of healing in the church right now where people are focusing a lot of time and attention on healing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Can I encourage you? Like when Jesus is speaking to people all through the scriptures, they are people who have a framework for who God is and are and contextually, they are part of Israel, right? They know who Yahweh is. They've grown up around Torah. They've grown up in synagogue. They understand. We are in a world that is filled with rampant spirituality, completely detached from Jesus. So when we get, if you are a person who God uses you with words of knowledge and healing, make sure you're sharing gospel. Don't just pray for people to be healed and forget that that we can heal their bodies and they can still live separated from God forever. Forever. How, How do we lean into both of those, right? Like maybe you're great at sharing your faith, but you don't ever pray for anybody to be healed. Engage it. Like Jesus is a healer. His spirit is within us. Look for those opportunities. Listen to his voice. Engage that part of your faith. And for some of you this morning, that is terrifying to you. And there's no judgment there. It's just an invitation. This is available. It's available for you to partner with the Holy Spirit to see things happen that you have no power to do by yourself. Amen. Right? Which means... Me walking by faith sometimes takes me stepping out. But secondly, we always have to be sharing. I was downtown as we were planting the church, and Caleb and I were shooting um, a promo video for what we were doing. And I was invited to a, like an ashram drum circle or something in the downtown. Okay? This is by a guy that I know. He said, you should come to this. And I thought, it was one of those moments, you, you guys have those moments where you're like, do I go hard or do, do I go like passive and be quiet? And I said, you know, I actually think that that opens doors for demonic presence in people's lives and it causes all kinds of bondage and sickness. And he looked at me like I was an insane person. He was like, I'm trying to be nice to you. I was like, and it wasn't offensive. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly. I, I just think that that leads people into bondage. 
leads people into demonic power. There is one mediator between God and men, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is one holy, clean spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He cleanses out and shuts all those doors open to junk in the world that don't need to be open. He cleanses us of all of those things. Right? we got more people in our community going to Reiki healers than we do to Jesus. And again, it's, it's not to judge. It's just to say we have one mediator to the Father. His name is Jesus. We have one healer. Are you with me? We'll spend less time talking about shockers and more time talking about hearts that are surrendered to Jesus. Okay. We have idols. We have things in our community that are at work. If you want to talk about our community, everybody talks about racism and religion, but there is also a New Age movement that's pushing in our community to practice Hindu prayer and to practice all these things. Listen to me. You're opening doors. You're opening doorways to things that Jesus is not a part of. You don't want to invite something in that's not leading you to freedom. Amen? Okay, another time, another sermon, I guess. Everybody's very quiet right now. Sin can cause physical sickness. It can. We don't know if that's fully what this is, but it's important for us to understand that we are a connected being. And Jesus doesn't just heal this man's body and overlook his sin because that would be a diminished healing. But he confronts the issue, right? Notice, secondly, uh, for those of you who maybe you're coming from a different denomination, I want you to see this because we don't see this a lot. Um, Jesus exposes the unbelief of the teachers through a word of knowledge. Jesus has to have a word of knowledge. He doesn't just know it because he's the son of God. God produces it in him the same way he produces it in us. It says that these men are thinking to themselves, how dare he? He's blaspheming, right? And Jesus knows in his spirit what they are thinking and says all that he says, right? <laughs> Look at it. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? In verse 8, immediately Jesus knows in his spirit that this is what they were thinking. He knows their thoughts. Not because he's just Jesus, but because he's a son of the kingdom of God. What's the inference? The inference is that God is also going to speak to you in words of knowledge. Sometimes he's going to give you an impression or an understanding about something you have no right to know. Someone's thinking something, and you're pretty sure you know what they're thinking, right? And how many of you know we can also get that wrong? (laughs) Have you ever tried to read your wife's mind, gentlemen? It's a terrifying place. Right. You can get in a lot of trouble that way, David. Don't do it. Yeah, so, so this, this is also a part of what's happening. But Jesus exposes the unbelief of these people by listening to the Spirit, who points out that there is something here that you don't, you don't see, you don't even hear, but you know in your heart that they don't believe in you because they say only God can do this. Now, this is a really funny part because they're actually saying the truth. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, by the Spirit, is going, mm-hmm, that's right, only God. Yes, I am God. He is saying, in essence, and he actually uses physical healing to prove that he has authority to forgive. Isn't that beautiful? He could have just said, I have authority to give and moved on. No, he's, he, he operates in compassion. I, I believe he started with that because he wanted to expose the unbelief in their heart. I believe that he operated in this way because he wanted to free this man's heart and his body. He does a full healing. But all of this, friends, all of it, begins with a, the faithful four 
who load their buddy up and walk across town so that they can get to Jesus. What does it look like for us to be a people who are so molded and modeled in the compassion of Christ that we will go past convenience to ourselves, past what is simple and easy and clean to get people to the feet of Jesus? And how, how do we take this from this Old Testament perspective, right? This is before the resurrected Christ. How do, how, do we, how do we take it from that into the New Testament where you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Where you and I are being knitted together as the body of Christ with him as the head. How do we do that? Because I'm not trying to get them to a particular place necessarily, right? I'm trying to get them to Jesus. And the Spirit of God is within you. How, how do we do that? I think it looks a lot more like us going to them than it does them coming to us. It's not about us getting as many people who don't love Jesus and aren't familiar with the church to the church. Are you with me? It's, it's not about that. It's about getting you so empowered by the Spirit, in love with the compassion of God and His heart for people, that you'll go to them. Do we need to go to the nursing home and load up all the people, carry them out in sheets and bring them to the church this morning? Do we believe there's more power in that? Right. It's a comical picture, right? And dangerous. Do not do that. If you heard me wrong, please do not do that. Don't go to the nursing home today. Whatever you do, go to the nursing home. Don't go to carry people out. Okay. A lot of clarity. How do we recognize that we are carriers of the kingdom of God? That when you go there, you are bringing them to Jesus. You're bringing Jesus to them. What does that look like in our city? Seriously. What does it look like? One of the most difficult things we face is not a lack of love. It's not a lack of compassion. It's busyness. You know why we don't do all the things that we know are important? We're too busy. We have too much going on. We just stay invested in all the things that are of lesser importance so that the things of greater importance never happen. Are you with me? What does it look like for us as a community? Seriously, I, don't, I, I wish I could do something crazy looking so that it gained everyone's attention all at once, not just physically. I think we need to hone in on this. Some of you want so badly to be effective for Christ it's going to mean you say no to a lot of other things that you're doing. This is harder. It's going to mean saying no to stuff. It's going to mean that you prioritize kingdom things above other things. It's going to mean that you create margin in your life so that you can actually get up and spend time with Jesus. You have to create margin. It doesn't just magically appear. I'm 37 now. I've got two kids. I'm working with a lot of people. I get it now. It doesn't just magically appear. If you don't plan it, it won't happen. H how do we become the kind of people who are constantly bringing people to Jesus in that way? And here's a radical notion. In prayer, we enter into a way to bring people to Jesus that is, it comes long before the physical realm. Where you start to pray for people and bring them before the throne room of God and you affect change in the Spirit long before you ever touched them or got near to them. What does it look like for a New Testament church both to, to respond in body with your body and your time, but also to be people of intercession and prayer who respond to what God is doing ahead of time? For some of you, you have a gift of intercession, and you know it. I actually think women tend to be better intercessors than men. I, I think they have a capacity to hate the devil more, too. Like, I, you know... 
Hell hath no fury except a woman scorned. Yeah, Genesis 1, like he puts enmity in the heart of woman against the enemy. I believe women hate the devil better than men, you know? Like, and when you hate the devil really well, you also stay out of drama with other people because you're, you're on task, right? Like, guys, when we, when we get off task, we've seen what happens in King David in that life when you get off task, but we see what happens. What does it look like for us to be people of intercession? When God brings people to your heart or mind, you go to the throne room. And I'll let Sherry preach on that another day because I am surrounded by people who are powerful in intercession. Um, But as a community, we have to respond to that. We have to respond to what God is calling us to do. Finally, last but not least, here's a massive challenge for me. If we believe that Jesus modeling healing in this passage of Scripture is an invitation for us to also believe that we can pray for people and they're healed. Then Jesus forgiving this man's sins is also an invitation for us to see that we're a part of pronouncing forgiveness over people when they sin. I think we're quicker to go to praying for people's bodies to be physically healed than we are to understand that God has empowered you to proclaim forgiveness over people who have messed up. Are you with me? Let me read a passage of scripture because it's just that scary for some of us. John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, this is a terrifying passage of scripture to me. He's saying, I'm investing authority in you to bring about kingdom declaration on earth. You guys know that passage, charismatic churches love to quote this. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so you go in and we're binding and loosing every demon in hell, you know, and unleashing. We loose angels. We loose. Sorry, I don't mean to be like that. That's just not what that's about at all. He's saying whatever you open up here better be open there. Whatever you loose here better be loose there. Are you with me? He's saying, I'm giving you authority to declare people forgiven. It's a powerful statement. And I'm also giving you authority to, not, to declare that they are not forgiven. Jesus is asking you to partner in a greater way than you're comfortable with in the earth. If you don't think you walk around with power and authority, it's a scary place to be to be a son and a daughter of God and to be immature in your faith because you are wielding incredible weapons of warfare. God is calling you to make change. But will you take on the burdens of those in need so that we can see people transformed? Will you? Will you begin to pray and to intercede and to bring people to Jesus no matter what it takes? Amen? Stand to your feet. I actually think, let's just keep our eyes open today. Um, As a community, we want to practice something, and that is, Uh, chewing on things. (laughs) In services, what happens is we have an allotted amount of time and we ask people to respond very quickly to things that have eternal consequences. 
And there's place for that sometimes. This is, this is what I want to make space for this morning. For some of you, you feel like a deep resolve in your heart. That God is, he's doing something. He's put a seed in you this morning that you want to respond to people's needs.